So today I thought I'd talk about peace on earth, but <laughs> it's not just about on earth, it's about peace in our hearts, of course, too. And this time of year is so full of feeling. You know, it's it's the the feelings of joy and happiness, the feelings of hope. Um for for a improved experience in samsara, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> and and um, and also those oftentimes feelings of sadness because things aren't the way we want them to be. And it's like, what do we do with all that? And, and it's such a precious time to practice you know partly because of the encouragement you know in many communities um, encouraging each other to be more kind more generous more more connected more loving that wish for peace on earth that's what you know that's what i grew up with around the holidays i think many of us have you know to to really, to really put an emphasis on those positive qualities that human beings have and can bring to this world and to encourage each other with. And I don't know about you, but I think even growing up, I had a bit of uh, skepticism about it. Because after all, like, do we ever have peace on earth, really? And I was so grateful to find the Buddha's teachings because he doesn't kind of make any, you know, I had not would say fluffy statements. <laughs> he doesn't kind of, you know, brush things off and act like they're better than they are. He, he was very much, you know, clear that we have to look at the reality of things. That's how we make progress. That's how we, see what's really there we see the real truth of the world that there's never really going to be peace in the world i mean there's always some conflict going on and and we know that even in our own minds in our own life with the people we love even you know let alone the people we're not having an easy time with. And so when the Buddha talked about this, he said, you know, recognize that there's never going to be a completely satisfying experience in the world. It's just how it is. Once we can recognize that and accept it, we can deal with it better. Yes, there's aging. There's old age. You know, in that when the suttas talk about aging, sickness, and death, it's not really aging, it's old age. So we're all aging from the time we're born, we're starting to age. But old age is when we really start to feel it <laughs> more than ever. And it's like, when does old age happen? You know, you've probably heard me quote Wendell Berry. He's a, a wonderful poet, kind of from the part of the country, part of the world I grew up in. And on his 70th birthday, his poem was, 
well, at least I won't die young. <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, <laughs> that might be the official mark there. <laughs> 70. I'm really coming close in February. I'm going to be 69. So I'm really um, pushing 70, as they say, from where I come, where I come from. And it's like, uh, there's a kind of relief I find in facing things as they are, actually are. There's kind of a relief in saying, yeah, uh, I'm really heading into old age rather than, oh no, I'm still gonna look young and dress young and, and make up young and act like I'm young, pretend I'm young, <laughs> saying no. That's what the that's what the marketers want us to do because they can sell us those products, you know. But it actually doesn't change the reality. And then you can start to see the benefits, the beauty, the opportunity, even in sickness. You know, I always kind of marvel at Ajahn Brahm telling people, enjoy your cancer. You know, recognize that there's a there's an experience here to learn from and grow from and cherish the good of that. And there always is. There's always, there's always in our human life something to be grateful for. Even in the most dire circumstances, human beings rise up and help each other, sometimes more than when they're living an easy life. Definitely. There's always something, you know, and the, and the Buddha to call the aging, old age, sorry, and I'm falling into it too, old age, sickness, and death as the heavenly messengers. They are. They teach us about what's important. They teach us about what's real. If we had peace on earth, would we know what to do with it? <laughs> would we really appreciate it? A lot of times it's the challenges that bring us, you know, more into focus. We, we're able to, to, really, to really develop our mindfulness when there's danger, when there's the falling apart, the inevitable breaking up and falling away. And so, you know, this is, this is really the essence. The Buddha said these, these are noble truths that there's suffering and you know it's not because suffering is noble it's because of what we do to meet it if we really meet it if we really are able to see it the way it actually is if we're really able to stay present with it and understand its causes then it then we get you might say through to the other side. I've always kind of liked that way of thinking about it. Practicing through to the other side. And what is the other side? You know, the Buddha talks about this world and the other world. And how a lot of times people don't think there's another world. And he never tried to convince them that there's another world. Because he knew that wasn't going to go anywhere. <laughs> But then he would say, 
But to think there's no other world is wrong view. You just don't understand reality. There is the other world. Was so it anything? Okay, the other world, that's the world of the devas, heaven realms. Yes, and Buddhist, Buddhism has its hell realms too. You know, we, we know this from our own minds. We can make our own private hell in there. <laughs> As I have one friend who says, yeah, I have my own private hell <laughs> in here in my mind. You know, and we can make heaven in there too. And Ajahn Gunha says, you make Nibbana. But Nibbana is right here and now. If we're really living in the present moment with gratitude and kindness and seeing everything that we do as a gift. If we really have our mindfulness and samadhi and panya, wisdom, right here in the moment, no matter what we're doing, so that's Nibbana. And it's like, well, I mean, Nibbana, according to the Buddha, is stilling of all formations, a complete peace. But that doesn't come in the in the heaven realms. And Buddha said, yeah, it's, it's not about, you know, being a deva, being with the devas, because that's also sansara. It's just as imperfect, a lot more pleasurable, but also there's impermanence. Dukkha and non-self there. So when the Buddha talks about what's beyond that, it's the complete stillness, contentment, the ending of this wanting, wanting to get rid of. And so how do we experience that now? It's just like Ajahn Gana said, when we're really, really present, when we're really, really wise, we bring the wisdom of the Dhamma to this moment. And we see each other and ourselves for what we are. It's like a, a process of conditioned phenomenon with this incredible power to turn our attention to what's wholesome and do things that are good to abide in loving kindness and compassion and the joy, like this morning, the joy that arose hearing the good things that are happening for people and equanimity. And they say that Arahants just constantly abide in one of those four or in the Brahma Viharas. If that's what it means to have let go of all greed, hatred, and delusion. It's like, that's, that's beautiful. That's natural to the mind when the defilements fall away. That's peace on earth. That's peace in the heaven realms. That's peace that lasts once we are completely clear about the nature of reality, real peace. So like you over these years, finding this, seeing into those suttas, it's amazing 
you know, to really, like some of you have said, to learn how to read them, to understand what's really there. I mean, at first it can feel like such a harsh um, view of the world, but it's the real, the real world is all falling apart. I mean, some of you who were here with us on Thursday night online, you know that we had a big tree come down um, <laughs> pretty close to the to the kuti that's down by the creek because it, it fell down into the creek bed and it was it's very large and it took four other trees down with it. I mean, <laughs> massive, massive like pile of destruction in the creek and this is just nature it just went over crash from the roots uprooted probably the the softness of the ground from all the rain you know and that's that's just how it is like the forest changes every day it's it's plant life and it's animal life and you know, it, it's it's really it's really amazing to be so close to that and see it happening and know know that that's also what's happening in our own bodies and in our own every aspect of our life. And then, yeah, there's this this solid ground, this solid ground of Dhamma. And we can, and we can, you know, figuratively and in some actual way stand on. And and it's about those qualities the Buddha talked about: the virtue, the the samadhi, and the wisdom, and the kindness. I'm just always blown away by how in practice in our life this path keeps bringing us back to kindness it's the natural outgrowth of the path you know it's 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 amazing that's the first sign i felt told me that this is really true I mean, there were all those other things that the Buddha talked about that I'd already experienced that I knew were true, but that that it always keeps bringing us back to being kind. That was that was that was what really sold me. <laughs> really convinced me. You know, it's just it's so beautiful. And then and then we can start to accept all of the what we might think of as our faults or our flaws or our, um, our missteps and our blind spots. And, you know, we can, we can start to let that be as it is and, and not have to feel um, guilty about it or, or somehow like we are not good enough because that's just the nature of our conditioning. And, and we can 
we can, once we accept those things in ourselves and we can accept them in other people, and then we're, we're in a better position to take the, take the approach that is helpful to work with those, those things, those variations, those lapses or whatever we might call them, the things that just are there, imperfect. Because that's the nature of this world. It's the nature of our our bodies and our you know conditioned processes belong to the world. They belong to nature. But our practice, our 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 our, our determination, our energy, those qualities that Buddha always talks about cultivating. That's what. That's what leads us to this stillness where the world ends. The Buddha said, this is where the world ends. And we get tastes of it in meditation. The world can stop in meditation for a period of time. But when we are arahants, and when the body dissolves, when we're arahants, they say, then you know, you know, these things are going to end with life ending. And sometimes we have trouble conceiving of or imagining how it would be to be completely still and beyond time. It's not like we're completely still forever, it's beyond time. It's kind of like, how do I wrap my head around that? Sometimes we really can't from ordinary consciousness. We can understand it from altered states that come with deep meditation. We can start to, to get that. And, and so the Buddha said we should think about samsara well, we should think about samsara always as anicca, dukkha, anatta, not self, suffering, impermanent, whether we say it backwards or forwards, <laughs> those three characteristics. And we should always think of nibbana as happiness. And so if we're at a place in our development where that looks pretty scary it's okay but really keep reminding ourselves you know the buddha with all of his wisdom and insight and experience and so many people who have come after him developing on the path and seeing the benefits and then realizing the bana and knowing for sure this is the highest happiness this is where we put an end to suffering. And, you know, it's so great that the path is gradual and our development can be gradual and that our enjoyment of the results comes at each step of the, the, uh, along the way, each moment where we are um, calm, quiet, contented, 
generous, virtuous, kind, that we feel the benefits of the practice, benefits of the Buddha's teachings, and its real encouragement. And so when we're running up against uh, mental states that are downpouring, sadness, grief, grumpiness. And we all experience these things while we're walking this path, while we're developing. How do we approach them? And the Buddha said, as much as possible, approach them from a place of observing them rather than being in them and owning them. It's merely a process that's arising out of the past. Well, how do we make a shift? Well, it depends. I mean, on Thursday night, for those of you who weren't there, we, we looked at the the Sutta on Removal of Distracting Thoughts. It's number 20 in the Majjhima Nikaya. And the Buddha gives these methods, which, you know, maybe the first time through reading, I know for me, it's like, okay, kind of get it. You know, it seems, it seems so kind of practical and you can just apply this kind of method. But then when you get deeper into it, I don't know how many times I've read that Sutta or talked about it, but it's, a lot and every time it's almost like there's another layer to be revealed of what this actually means what it implies and where it leads and and to really recognize that all of these threads in the buddha's teaching lead to the same result complete freedom And, and when we when we recognize that we can see you know like okay how do how do I meet this this mood how do I meet this experience that's so painful or disturbing or dulling or downpulling and say oh okay first I step back I see it in context this is a passing mental state this is a passing emotional experience where does it come from the buddha said look at the causes what are the thoughts that bring up this mental state what are the thoughts that keep it going that fuel it can i change what i'm thinking When I feel sad about the way something is, can I look at the other side of it? Can I see the beauty, the joy, the benefit? Can I, can I decide to walk away from whatever it is that's toxic? That's just, you know, like bringing, so, so it's kind of an interesting question someone asked the other night. We've talked about it before. It's like, when do I know whether to go deeper into being present with an experience or whether to walk away from it, set it aside? And my answer was, 
it depends on how much we've reflected on this ex this kind of feeling or these causes in the past. You know, if it's a common thing that we know is a pattern, we've examined it, we know where it arises from, there's no more to learn from that. It's just the old story repeating itself. That's the time to replace it with something new, with what's what's healing, uplifting. That's the time to say, no more. I'm setting this aside. I'm not buying into this story anymore. The stories are never really completely true. They have elements of truth. That's what catches us. That's what gets us going. But it's never the full picture. And and we we lose track when we're we're in those negative states. We lose track of the positive. We can't see that side at that moment. So that's what we have to make the resolve to do. But if it's something that's coming out of an old trauma that hasn't been felt all the way through, we need to be present with it. Do what the Buddha said. Know its causes. And, and of course, many of you know, um, if you've had to deal with trauma, that it doesn't, it's not about re-going over the story. It's about being present with how it arises in the body and how we can feel our way through to the other side. And when I used, when I was in ministry school in the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, they talked about praying all the way through. You know, because that was a very theistic kind of model and environment. So now, you know, with Buddhism, I don't think of it as, you know, some kind of supplication to God. But it's a process that happens pretty much the same in the heart. And it's like you're present with this trigger. You know, like you're present with not the not the content, but the process, being present with what we're feeling in a way that we can bring that spirit, the spiritual qualities in, being present with what's there, letting it change, letting it morph, seeing that it's completely empty of any kind of substance. There's no core substance to it. You know, like when we're when we're really experiencing anxiety, for example, where that anxiety will attach to whatever it can find in your environment, in your experience. It's not about conditions. It's about the mental process. And then once we see that, we see, oh, this thing just wants to grab whatever it can to like worry about. And once we know that that's what it's up to, we can step back and we can go, wait, where, where is this process getting fueled? How does it keep going? I want to stay present with it. What does that feel like in the body? Can I stay present with that feeling in my gut, in my heart, in my throat or wherever? Is it stay present with that feeling and see through it? Ah, I can stay mindful. I can stay kind. I can stay loving. I can stay present, even with the tears flowing. And when we feel it all the way through, 
is like praying all the way through. We're free of the fear. We're free of the need for the comfort. And that's the key. It's not about getting comfort. It's about being free for, of the need for. It's not about getting what we want. It's about being free of wanting. There's no way we're ever going to be satisfied by getting what we want. It's not how it is. But we can be free from the wanting. And, of course, the what helps is you know the spiritual comfort you know, this is what the, the buddha is like why be afraid why should i be afraid of this beautiful pleasant feeling of meditation when it's not connected at all to the senses That's a spiritual feeling. We can bring the spiritual, we can bring that to everything. If it's loving kindness, true karuna, which compassion is not quite a good enough translation because it's not about suffering with, it's not about feeling the suffering. It's about feeling that beautiful wish for the suffering to end for someone. It's a, it's a beautiful heart quality. The mudita, the joy, the spiritual joy. This, this equanimity that's not the mundane, oh, it's okay. Um, it's neither pleasant nor painful. Not that one, but the, but the real equanimity of being able to be present with the ugliest things and calm and peaceful and balanced. So those are the qualities that we can cultivate and recognize their boundlessness. You know, when they say that the Brahma-viharas are limitless, they're without boundary. Everything in the world has, has limits. There's a limit to how long this body will last. There's a limit to how long that tree will stand. There's a limit to, you know, like the amount of anger I can feel there's a limit to everything in this world everything worldly it has that dark side the light side the limits but when you get into the spiritual that's where the limitlessness is the boundless happiness and so that's what we're that's what we're bringing in when we bring that into the world that's how we that's how we find peace on earth. That's how we create it. Peace in the mind, peace in our relationships, peace in the monastery, peace in your home. And, and it's like some kind of amazing gift or, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like, how is it that human beings are able to do this and and that this is within your your ability so when we have this you know 
down pulling mental state, which it, you know, these emotions that are, we might say negative emotions, they never come from skillful mental states. They come from unskillful mental states. And when we have that, then we, then we have this opportunity. It's like immediately, hopefully we say, oh, I know what I can do with this. When something big changes in your life and you feel like suddenly you just like your life has become this burnt out crater. Have you ever had that? I've had that a number of times. There's nothing. It's like everything's just. And then we need to develop this, this response that says, I know what to do with this. You, this, this hole, this void, this is what you create in. This is, this is the space within which to create. And what do you create? You create those spiritual qualities. And create kindness, compassion, generosity. Some of the most difficult things that happen to people bring them the greatest development and happiness. Well, you've probably heard people say, boy, I'm so glad I got cancer. That's how I started living. Because we're not really living when we're going from one negative mental state to another. When we're letting that be what washes us, over us and through us. Now, we're really living when it's the spiritual qualities, the wholesome qualities, the beautiful mental states. That's what, That's what's washing through us. And you know, being present, being able to be with someone going through really hard times, being able to be with ourselves when we're going through really hard times in a way that's loving. That's available to all of us. And when we when we feel like it's not, when we when we can't find it, when it all looks dark, we need to reach out to a friend. Because the Buddha was right, the most the most powerful external force is another human voice. And that's how we could get this from the Buddha. That's how we support each other. You see someone who's in that space of it's all dark, you got to bring your voice to that. And it's not about giving people hope that things are going to get better in this world because, yeah, they won't get better, they'll get worse. <laughs> but it's the, it's the understanding, the, the knowledge, the wisdom that there is what's wholesome and it brings confidence and stability and beauty of a spiritual nature rather than a sense world nature. And, it, and it's boundless. So I think that's, that's what I'm, you know, continually bringing in for myself and 
the gratitude I have to the Buddha is, I haven't found the end of it. <laughs> and um, I know that that's what's happening for you or you wouldn't be showing up in a session like this. <laughs> At least you have some sense of it. And I hope that this time of coming out of the dark um, is 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 real for us mentally in the heart as well as physically in the world. Well, thank you for your practice. And I imagine some of you might have something to say about that. So please feel free. More questions. wondering what you say to yourself like this what's your talk when you realize that you're in one of these states to get yourself into the better frame of mind like it sounds a little bit abstract to me so first step as soon as i can I recognized, ah, this is one of those unwholesome states of mind. And you have to be careful that that doesn't bring up some guilt, oh, I shouldn't feel this way. Or if it does, then you know that is just a story that's not helpful, you know, because guilt is another one of those negative mental states that we are conditioned to pick up. And so we don't do that. So it's like, okay, okay, I'm in this. I'm grouchy or I'm sad or I'm angry or I mean, it's over time you don't feel much anger anymore or any kind of um, very strong feelings. But then you can notice that in your practice, like the ups and the downs are, are less extreme. But, you know, even when it's like whatever quality it is, you go, okay, this is what's happening. This and this is what the Buddha said in the four right efforts. You know, you, you notice with your mindfulness that you're having an unskillful mental state. <laughs> and it's not to be shaming you. It's, it's just to like, this is what's happening. It's like assessing a situation. It's like you're the doctor. You're looking at the patient. What's going on here? You know, it's like, this is what's going on. We got this, this happening. And instead of, and then, and then start to notice what is the thought? What are the thoughts? That brought this on there's it always comes from well let me see it comes from thinking or it can come from some kind of um sensor sensory input 
that triggers something inside. So you get it triggers this process. So you try to look at well, what's what's the cause, and then what's the what's the best approach here? Again, like the doctor, you know, the Buddha was compared to the physician a lot of times. What's the best medicine here? What's the appropriate medicine? What's the right dosage right now? Okay, so, you know, okay, I'm feeling anxious. This is this isn't this isn't happy. This isn't pleasant. This is I'm not feeling generous and kind right now. I'm feeling anxious, right? There's you know, another way to think of it. Oftentimes they'll talk about there being one seat in the mind. Only one kind of thing can sit down in there at one time. If the mind is full of loving kindness, hatred cannot sit down in there. <laughs> if it shows up at the door, it has to leave because there's no space. But if there's a if anxiety is sitting in the one chair, we can't really be very generous or you know, there's those other qualities just can't get in. So we have to find the way to usher that out. And sometimes we can replace it with something else. Like in those, in that sutta, you can replace the the coarse peg with the fine peg, you know. <clears throat> and sometimes that works. Or sometimes the, the medicine is to really stay present with the way it feels in the body so that you can work it through. And the Buddha talked about looking at What's the mental formation behind this mental, behind this thinking? So like, where is this thinking coming from that's causing this anxiety? Then can I, can I look at that, that what's behind that? Maybe you got to look at what's behind that, peeling the onion and seeing the layers. <laughs> Sometimes we just need to, Turn our mind. This is like the fine peg and the horse peg again. You turn your mind to something else. You turn your mind to gratitude. Like, well, okay, this and this and this are wrong and uncomfortable, not perfect or whatever. But look at this. Look at this and this and this and this. How great that is. How great it is that, you know, I have this person here that I that I trust. How great it is that, you know, I have family, even if I'm not with them right now, they're doing okay, or whatever it is, you know, it's like that kind of thing. Sometimes we, <clears throat> sometimes the medicine is I really need more regular meditation practice so that the, the buildup of the insulation around my emotions is, is thicker and I'm more peaceful. There's all, you know, everything in the Buddhist teachings is, is method. Much of it, you know, there's a lot of methods there. So you just, the more you, more tools you put in your tool bag, then you figure out which one to use. It's like, yeah, you know the process. You're a nurse practitioner. How many medications do you know about? And, you know, once you see what the problem is, how do you, you know, it's the same thing. Dhamma tools. But it starts with mindfulness because if we don't have the mindfulness, we don't recognize. And it starts with the wisdom. You got to have wisdom with mindfulness. Sati Sampajanya. Because if you don't have the wisdom, you don't know that, oh, yeah, this is actually a, a negative mental state. This is actually an illness. 
now I, now I know I can start working on the solution. Yeah, thank you. Sometimes we have the illness of liking to lick our wounds. So we want to go over those old hurts. But that's not a that's not a productive healing method. And that's where the wisdom comes in. Where it says, understand what's wholesome and what's unwholesome. This is often the way he defines wisdom. It's very wholesome to come to this session. <laughs> or any session about Dhamma that actually follows the Buddha's teachings. Yes, Neil. Thank you, Paula. Thank you for that question. Go ahead, Neil. So early early on in the talk, you said something about um, when you were talking about peace on earth and how there can really never be peace on earth. There's always conflict somewhere, I guess, both on earth and in the mind. And it got me thinking, isn't that really what dukkha is? I've always struggled with, yeah. with, with um, either suffering or stress as definitions of dukkha. And I've always felt a little more comfortable with, uh, sometimes it's translated as unsatisfactoriness mm -hmm. um, or discontent. And it, so I, I made that connection really for the first time that that's how all those possible translation words are connected that this uh, this realization that that there is almost like that there is no perfection and there probably isn't even any hope of perfection and yes. that it's beside the point to think that there should be yes yeah okay <laughs> and so and I think that's why also I always feel like equanimity is really the strongest, for me anyway, of the, well, I shouldn't say the strongest, but the Brahma Vihara that feels to me like closest to having an understanding of what this path is all about. Because you can you can be in the world and know that that this is not ever going to be perfect and still be able to respond to things skillfully and to have kindness and to have compassion and to have sympathetic joy um, despite the fact that you know this about the world about life so yeah it's I, even I because you know it because you know it. yeah 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 you know okay it. okay mm -hmm. all right so that that was a very um helpful connection for that you helped me make so thank you 
Yay! <laughs> That's great. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Exactly. I thought I was yes. maybe going on, off on some semantical tangential thing. No, it's okay. the real deal, Neil. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's right. And equanimity is that, you know, when we really have equanimity, that's the right at the edge of Nibbana. That it's that is the last, the last step. That is the the final, you know, factor of the seven factors of enlightenment. That is the Brahma Vihara that is is able to hold it all. It's like it's it's that's it, man. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And there comes the beam of light behind you. I know. I noticed that. It's like, whoo. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The sun's moving. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Danny and Lisa. Yeah. Thank you, Neil, for going into that. That was very eloquently expressed and made me think of something I often, that often comes up for me when, um, I hear about the Brahma Viharas and also just the um, samsara, never, you know, give up on sam samsara ever uh, being washed away or cured is, um, for some reason, I, I always think of great works of art because um, the experience of a great work of literature, a great poem or great painting is often about conflict and about um, sort of appreciating the fact that it will never go away. And yet there's also great joy in this, in the beauty of this artwork. So in a way we're looking at life as a great, as a work of art. I mean, that's a better perspective than just feeling lost in um, my little story, my personal story. Yeah, lovely. Thank you, Lisa. And and this is just to like take it a step farther. The seeing it as a work of art. This is also where the danger is in our getting caught up in it. So as, as we come to that point of seeing it with all of its chaos and mess and beauty and pain and but then, but then, you know, what's happening for most human beings is that we're totally caught up in that. And we want the stimulation. And we want the, the engagement. Like how many people are watching the news, like kind of hungry for the stimulation of all the chaos and all the crazy, you know? And, and it's like, why do we keep coming back to samsara? Why do we keep getting reborn? It's because we're, we like it. And, and it's, and it's really starting to see what Neil described, you know, it's like really seeing that there's never going to be a way to perfect this. There's never going to be a way to really create peace on earth. We're not going to take this mess and kind of clean it up and sort it out and have it be different but we keep thinking we will and we keep wanting the challenge somehow and the buddha is saying you know give it up 
turn towards peace. See peace as the greatest thing. See peace and, and equanimity as the greatest thing. I know, don't come back for the horror movie and the, you know, if it, you know, think of it as a work of art, think of it as all as a movie going by, you know, like there's no real substance behind it. We keep looking for some real substance behind it. We keep looking for some real substance in ourselves like this. I'm going to find the self in this, like how many, I was going to try to name myself, but I've changed my name so many times in my life already. <laughs> Santusica, you know, I say, there's, there's nothing there. You peel it all away and there's nothing in the core. And, and that, and, and that's what keeps us that idea that there's something to find in there. There is a pony in this pile of horse manure. I know it. You know, no, it's not. It's not. You know, so, so you know, like to to really take that in and see the truth. Um, that's what gets us started to recognize. No, let's go the other way towards more and more peace. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. Memo. Yeah, elaborating a little bit more on what Neil said and what you're saying now. Um, one of the last uh, suttas we studied before you went into retreat was the the Chula Sunyata Sutta. And uh, it's always been like a, a challenging sutta for me because uh, I, I, I practiced Mahayana Buddhism for a long time and mm -hmm all the stress in in uh, they, that's made in 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 the emptiness and the, and the void and all all that stuff and 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 even though uh, it's very similar in in a, in a lot of ways there are a lot of things that change uh from from one tradition to the other so um what what happened is that i found this amazing resource uh, after we started this sutta I I I I I bought uh, Bante Suyato's book, uh, uh, Compassion and Emptiness in in Early Buddhism, and oh, Bante Analio. Bante yeah. Analio, sorry, yeah, yeah. and uh, it was, I, it 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 was one of, well, it was really timely for me because, mm -hmm. I found this. That this connection that I had never done before, and that's what came in this in this session between um, the Brahma Viharas and emptiness, and how going from Metta on to, up to Upeka, and then Upeka, mm -hmm. it's really easy to go to to move from Upeka into into uh, into uh, me emptiness meditation, and uh, mm -hmm. for me that's been really a, a a great resource for my mm. practice and and that's what you were saying that after uh, that uh knowing uh well uh, um practicing with with the brahma viharas can can give give us this this base for for entering into emptiness without fear i think that's what i found out yes. um because sometimes thinking about emptiness can be can 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 uh, trigger this sense of fear but uh when we do it from from the from the standpoint of, uh, of the brahma viharas and the brahma viharas have has always have always been a challenging practice for me 
but now doing this radiation of each Brahma Vihara, I mean, it, 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 it's been falling into place lately. Uh, and that was a great resource, uh, Bante Analyo's book. I really recommend it because uh, it, it, it's really good for understanding that that particular sutta, which is a little bit uh, uh, hard to understand sometimes. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the same time, it's really good for understanding uh, this step that you can give from the Brahma Viharas to emptiness. Just wanted to, wanted to say that. Yeah, thank you, Mimo. That's wonderful. I agree completely. That is great. Thank you. And I noticed, uh, well, actually, Paula brought up when she was staying with us um, that we hadn't really finished the sutta that night. And she wanted to finish the sutta. So we did that together while she was here. And if others would like us to revisit that sutta, we can. You can let me know. Um, what, which one is that? Um, it's the... Shorter discourse on emptiness in the Majjhima Nikaya. Is it like 141 or something? I don't remember exactly, but you'll find it. The shorter discourse on emptiness. The chula. Chula means shorter, short. Um, sunyata is emptiness. Chula sunyata sutta. Yeah, wonderful. Yes. Great. Thank you. Anybody want to make a last comment? Oh, yeah, 121. Thank you. Okay, so um, we have started the sort of alternating sutta studies um, in person and online. So this coming Thursday, It'll be in-person only, so no sutta study online. And then we'll go to the first and third, and whenever there's a fifth Thursday in the month, those will all be online. And the second and fourth Thursdays will be in person in Palo Alto at the Friends Meeting House. And so we're going we're gonna to try that out. Uh, for the next maybe six months or whatever. And then I'm going to go to Australia for the Vasa. I'll be completely out of the loop from uh, well, August, September, October. And then we're going to go, we're, I'll go to Thailand and Ayachitananda and Anagarka Sarana and whoever else is coming to Thailand uh, for the two weeks together. That'll happen probably in the second or third week of November start. You'll meet me there in Thailand and we'll visit. Hopefully, we've got four different monks in mind that we would like to visit. We'll see how many are around, what we can do <clears throat> by the time we get to that point. But, um, you know, so that's kind of how 2023 is looking. We are going to have a New Year's Day retreat. We're not sure how it's going to work out. It's going to be in person and online. Probably won't pay much attention to people online, um, but you'll be—you could be there for the retreat. Um, 
if somebody's up for watching the computer and and uh, taking your questions and that's possible you can sign up for that there are a couple of retreats that are scheduled um, one at cloud mountain for two weeks in early june one at the berry center for buddhist studies in may and there's one online for the berry center um, in june i think and anyhow, stuff on the calendar. So look forward to seeing you next time. I hope you have a wonderful holiday. I am going to show up on New Year's Eve on this, this channel. <laughs> so if you're up for it. Um... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.